Welcome to the Reasonable Theology Podcast, where we present sound doctrine in plain language. We're here to help you better understand, articulate, and live out the fullness of the Christian faith. And now, here's your host, Clay Craby. Well, welcome to the Reasonable Theology Podcast. Our guest for this episode is Alyssa Childers. She's a wife, mom, author, blogger, popular speaker on apologetics and the Christian worldview. Her latest book is Another Gospel. A lifelong Christian seeks truth in response to progressive Christianity. You can learn more about her and her work at AlyssaChilders.com. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much for joining us. Oh, it's great to be with you. Thanks for having me. To begin with, could you maybe just share a bit about yourself and your family and your ministry? Yeah, well, I am married with two small kids, 11 and 9, and they are in grade school right now. So I'm kind of doing that whole elementary school thing, although thankfully their school is actually meeting. So I'm, I wasn't forced into homeschooling <laughs> like so many of my friends. So I have uh, time to do my apologetics ministry that I have a blog and I have a podcast where I basically talk about apologetics issues, but sort of focus in on this movement of progressive Christianity and how some of the ideas that that movement is teaching contradict historic Christianity. Could you give us a definition? Because we're going to be focusing our conversation on this issue of progressive Christianity, which is by and large the topic of the book that you have coming out. And also something really important, your own background. But before we get into that, could you give us a working definition for what progressive Christianity even is and maybe speak to some of the dangers that it represents? Absolutely. Progressive Christianity, largely and broadly speaking, is a movement of people that are coming out of the evangelical church, and they're questioning historic doctrines like the resurrection. They generally don't believe that the Bible is the Word of God. They're making Christianity, kind of reframing it for a postmodern culture, saying, hey, it's really not so much about what we believe— but it's about what we do. It's about loving people. It's about being tolerant. But of course, anybody who thinks about tolerance long enough knows that anyone saying they're promoting tolerance in all ways is generally kind of bottoms out in their own kind of um, judgmentalness because tolerance, they, they're not going to tolerate a historic kind of Christianity. So that's sort of a broad flyover. But if we dig down in some of the essentials, I spent about two years reading progressive books and listening to podcasts and reading blog posts and just doing everything I could to learn about what this movement was teaching because it was kind of hard to define at first. Uh, it, because progressive Christians are not creedal, they're not uh, unified around creeds like the Apostles' Creed or the Nicene Creed, although sometimes they will uh, give a nod to those creeds, they're unified around behavior, ab around what works and what's more of a pragmatic approach. And so it can be hard to pin down what their actual beliefs are because you can have a, one progressive Christian who affirms the physical resurrection of Jesus and another one who doesn't. Uh, but as I began to really dig into their literature and their material, I discovered that there really are some core essential tenets that progressive Christians believe. And so if we look at the gospel, historically being seen by Christians as the proclamation of God's saving plan, it's, it's the narrative arc of God, God's redemptive 
acts in history. So creation, and then you have the fall and sin nature being passed down uh, to everyone. Thus our sin separating us from God, and then we need a Savior. So God institutes this amazing rescue plan where Jesus becomes uh, flesh and lives a sinless life, takes our sin upon himself and dies on the cross to reconcile us to God so that those who put their trust in him and in his saving work on the cross uh, will be reconciled to God forever. And then there'll be this final judgment where people will go to an eternal destination being heaven or hell. So broadly speaking, that would be the historic Christian gospel. But in the progressive church, uh, largely original sin is denied. They don't believe that we have a sin nature. It's, in fact, you'll hear very often in the progressive church, it's not our sin that separates us from God. It's our shame. So if there's any separation from God, it's self-imposed, but it's not because of our sin. Well, of course, if you don't have a sin nature, if you're not separated from God, well, what, what necessary uh, mechanism would the cross bring about? In the progressive church, the cross, the the idea that God would require the blood sacrifice of his son to atone for the sins of the world, in the progressive view, this implicates the character of God, and so often they will refer to the atonement as cosmic child abuse. They believe this makes God into a divine abuser. And so in the progressive view, Jesus didn't need to die for our sins. He was crucified by an angry mob, and sometimes you'll hear, that, you know, he showed the way forward for forgiveness by submitting to our bloodlust, or that he defeated death and sin by letting us crucify him and showing us what forgiveness looks like. Uh, But any kind of meaningful mechanism for forgiveness or justification by grace through faith is, is set aside. And then, of course, if you're build, if these are like building blocks and you don't have sin, you don't need to be saved from sin, the cross is cosmic child abuse, well, then what happens when we die? And in the progressive church, it's largely universalistic. So you're not going to find many progressive Christian thought leaders who will say that anyone's going to go to hell, or if there even is such a place called hell, uh, that it will all be good in the end. Although there's not a whole lot of uh, fleshed out theology that I've seen in the progressive world. It's it's a, it's a very much focused on the here and the now. It's very much focused on living life on earth and helping our neighbor and loving people and feeding the poor, uh, which are which are all good things, of course. But historically, Christians have seen those things as a fruit of our salvation. Our, our salvation and our belief in Christ is going to produce good fruit. But in the progressive church, that actually becomes the gospel, is this works-based gospel of uh, sometimes they'll use language like bringing heaven to earth or uh, bringing the kingdom of God and building the kingdom of God on earth, which, of course, we do want to be doing. But uh, with the atonement and sin and redemption removed from the picture, you know, you don't really have a God that can save you. You just have a God that can kind of stand with you and sympathize with you, but he's impotent to save you. Now, is this necessarily synonymous with like the prosperity gospel or is it one of those situations where you know all squares are rectangles but not all rectangles are squares i think it's an actually it's a different movement than the prosperity gospel prosperity gospel although there are certain intersection points without a doubt there there is a focus on the here and the now uh, but in the progressive world, they're not going to be looking for health and wealth and healing. Uh, that That's not going to be their focus like it is in the prosperity gospel. Uh, they're going to be much—it's it, it's interesting. It's like people with, in the prosperity movement 
almost over-supernaturalized Christianity where they can just speak things into existence and make them happen almost like, uh, you know, casting spells or something. It's over-supernaturalized. And in the progressive world, it's almost the opposite side of the coin. It's completely de-supernaturalized where you don't have a God that's really all that involved in your life. It's, it's essentially kind of uh, moralistic, therapeutic deism. And if anyone hasn't heard that term... Deism essentially just is is the view that God did create the world and he exists, but he kind of stepped back once he created the world and just isn't all that involved in your life. He's, he's not really all that concerned with what you're doing. He's not going to worry about your sin. If you need something, he'll be there. Uh, he'll comfort you. He wants you to be happy. So, you know, whatever you can do to be happy is a good thing. And so that's sort of the, the view in the progressive church. But uh, the prosperity gospel, I think, is a, a bit of a different animal, but they I can see how they might be two sides of the same coin. Sure. That makes a lot of sense. But your interest in this is not purely academic or hypothetical. Your own story is one where you are really brought to a crisis of faith by the lure of progressive Christianity. Is that right? Could you share some of that story with us? Yes, that is correct. And so that's why I'm so passionate about it, because you're right. It's not like I was just reading a book and thought, oh, I will focus on progressive Christianity. This is actually something that I encountered in my real life uh, that really rocked me to my core. So a little bit of my backstory is that I was raised in a Christian home with wonderful Christian parents. Uh, They modeled very genuine Christianity for me. I've loved Jesus and I've loved the Bible as far back as I can remember. Like I was that kid in youth group that was leading the Bible studies and organizing the prayer meetings and going on all the mission trips. I was the kid that nobody would have worried about. In fact, I think if you would have asked any of my youth pastors back then, do you think she'll ever doubt her faith? They would have said I would have been the last one (laughs) that would ever doubt my faith. And largely speaking throughout my life, I never did doubt the truthfulness of Christianity or the reality of Jesus in my life went on and spent a better part of a decade as a part of a a recording Christian recording group called Zoe Girl. Some of your listeners may remember Zoe Girl. And wow, what a wonderful experience. And even then, I never really encountered any doubts about what I believed. But it was after the Zoe Girl experience, Zoe Girl had come to a close, and we had come off the road. We were all married, and I had a new baby at the time. And I was invited to participate in a small class at a local church that we had been attending. And it was in the context of this class, maybe 10 or 12 of us, that the pastor revealed to us that he was actually agnostic, and he called himself a hopeful agnostic. And I remember being really troubled by that, but I, I just thought, you know, don't be judgmental. I was, <laughs> I was kind of probably influenced by some of the things in culture and thinking, gosh, don't judge him. Maybe he's just being really honest, and uh, I'll bet he believes more than he thinks he does. Or I don't know what I was thinking, but in the class, over the course of four months, Uh, everything that I had ever believed about Jesus and about God and especially about the Bible was uh, sort of put on this chopping block intellectually. And everything was just picked apart with this, what, what it really seemed to me at the time to be this flawless logic. Because although I had studied the Bible since I was a kid, I didn't know a lot about church history. I'd never really studied systematic theology. I didn't know critical thinking skills. I just didn't have this this foundation to be able to counter what this pastor was bringing up and in some of the books that he was having us read and study. And so after about four months, my husband and I decided to leave the church because we just didn't want to raise our kids there. 
And it was when I was away from the church and back kind of isolated uh, that all of the seeds of doubt that he planted began to take root and grow. And then at that point, I wasn't just wondering if what I had believed about God was wrong or if I had gotten parts of the Christian story wrong. But I was actually questioning whether God existed or not. Like, is this just been this fantasy I've had going on in my mind since I was a little girl? Is this something I've created that feels good to my brain so that every time I encounter a worship service or a song that I love or uh, a, a sermon or a Bible verse that it just sort of sends these synapses in my brain firing and making me feel good because I've so ingrained in my identity that this is who I am. I was I was questioning all of that. And it was really dark. It was um, darkness like I had never experienced ever before. I couldn't feel the presence of God like I always thought that I could. I, I couldn't feel him with me. I didn't hear him speaking to me. I, the Bible became like this brick wall to me, and I didn't know what to do. And so I remember just sitting in my rocking chair crying out to God, just, if you exist, God, you, you have to send me somebody that can answer some of the things this pastor is saying. And so it was through apologetics that God really did rebuild my faith. And it's in, it was so beautiful the way he just put stone after stone back together on top of each other and rebuilt my faith. But the reason I'm so passionate about progressive Christianity is because the church that I was at, that we ended up leaving a few years later, they rebranded themselves and they took down their belief statement and they replaced it with a new one. And they called themselves a progressive Christian community. And I had never heard that phrase before, progressive Christianity. But then I began to see that phrase everywhere. And friends were posting blog posts from progressive Christians. And what was so interesting to me is that as I was studying apologetics, a lot of the, the reason I was studying apologetics is because a lot of the claims this pastor was bringing in were the same claims atheists make. So it was, it was like the same claims coming from two different places. One group would say, we disbelieve these things, therefore we disbelieve God. The other group would say, we disbelieve these things, but we're still going to hold the title Christian. And so that's why I'm so passionate to address this this movement, because it's, I think it's very dangerous. And I think that if somebody upholds the tenets of progressive Christianity, they're actually converting to a different religion with a different God and a different Jesus, a different gospel, and it's not the Christian gospel. This is a really kind of a scary story for people to hear in a lot of ways, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, I know. It's like uh, you you wouldn't think that would happen in church, but you wouldn't believe how many people have reached out to me with the same story, that they were in church or, or even in a, you know, while following a high-profile social media Christian speaker, and their whole group gets moved into the progressive camp. It's it's just absolutely everywhere. And the history goes back earlier than than that. Uh, it's it's always kind of been around since about the early 1900s, calling itself different things. But but right now, the iteration that we're encountering is progressive Christianity. Yeah, and and one of the elements of this, and you know, being in ministry myself, the things that I talk to with with others in the ministry is how unique our time is, in that the the wolf no longer has to come through the door. Uh, with the internet, your people are encountering these personalities, their arguments, their books, their Instagram feeds, and and being drawn in by that all the time. Yes, that's right. In fact, sometimes I'll tell pastors when I'll ask, even when I'm speaking in a, in a women's group or something, and 
I'll ask the women, how many of you have heard of, say, like Jen Hatmaker? And many, many, many of the women will raise their hands. But if I'm in a mixed group where maybe it's a po apologetics conference or something, and I'll ask uh, men, hardly any of the men have ever even heard of her, especially in more conservative circles. And I've told pastors before, the, this is, these are the people that are discipling the women in your church, even though you've never heard their name. Yeah, and I I remember the first time I came across your name and your ministry was your article uh, in response to the book Girl Wash Your Face, and and seeing and hearing you make some of those same points has really impacted me in trying to make sure that I am aware in my pastoral ministry of what's popular, what are people reading, what are they being exposed to, because otherwise those things kind of go under the radar and can cause some real problems. They really can, and so often some of these larger social social media platforms. If you enjoy the sermons and written works of C.H. Spurgeon, I encourage you to check out the all-new chspurgeon.com. Here you'll find free, unabridged sermon audio delivered with the dynamic of live preaching, articles written by and about the Prince of Preachers, a chronological bibliography of all his books, and much more. This will be a growing library of Spurgeon-related resources to help you in your walk with the Lord. So check it out at chspurgeon.com. where maybe these women started out as mommy bloggers and their platform has grown. They've started to write books and they've started to even get some secular success and some crossover success. What a lot of people don't realize is that they're so involved in discipling their followers online. So uh, you mentioned Rachel Hollis. When I wrote that review of her book, Girl, Wash Your Face, at that time, I don't know if she's still doing this, but she was doing a Facebook Live every single day on Facebook. So women who are maybe new moms and they're in a really isolated and vulnerable time of life, they can pop on to her Facebook page every day and feel like they have community. And so a lot of these authors and these speakers are really, really good at creating a sense of community for people where they don't feel judged, where they feel accepted and they feel loved. Uh, but at the same time, they're withholding the real gospel from them, which is why I think it's so dangerous. Well, just another example of those without the true gospel and yet are doing certain things that, that put us to shame in some ways. You think of, you know, Mormons and their zeal going around neighborhoods and knocking on doors or even like this building community and being really intentional and yet uh, devoid of the gospel causes a lot of harm. It does. In fact, uh, may, what you just said makes me think of the Liturgists podcast. So many people who have gone through a deconstruction in their faith started by listening to the Liturgist podcast, which is a progress. Well, it started out kind of as a progressive Christian podcast, but it has really gone beyond, I think, even the, the boundaries of what you would even call Christian. And they've embraced a whole bunch of other sort of uh, religious traditions within the Liturgist now. Uh, but they have 24-hour rooms, online rooms, that you can hang out with. Like, you you don't ever have to be alone. And you're right. They put us to shame in some of the methods they use to reach people and to bring people into community, uh, which can actually make it that much more dangerous because when they have the people in these communities, uh, not only are they withholding the gospel, but they're actually giving them false gospels and false information and People are being given permission to live however they want. There's no standard of holiness, at least according to how the Bible defines holiness. 
And so you can imagine why that would be so attractive for somebody to be told, hey, you can still have Jesus, you can still call yourself a Christian, and you can live however you want. You don't have to be judged. Nobody's going to tell you that, uh, that your particular sin struggle is wrong. In fact, we're going to celebrate that with you. And so I can, I can see, especially in today's culture, why it's so uh, alluring to Christians, especially Christians who have grown up in environments that were overly legalistic, maybe some uh, hypocritical environments, abusive environments. I can see easily why these places are so attractive. Definitely. And there's lots of people out there that, that take the tools of the Internet and social media and then they use them for ill. Obviously, these things can be used for good as well, and that's what we try to do at Reasonable Theology. That's what you're doing at LissaChilders.com. That's also what ended up being helpful to you as well, right? That was just the online apologetics ministry. Is that correct? Yes. So I mentioned earlier how I was sitting in my rocking chair just crying out to God because at the time I didn't know any other Christians who could answer the claims that this pastor had brought up in class. In fact, I was so naive. I actually thought he thought of all those things. And I was really worried. Like, I mean, can somebody answer this guy? Because I thought he was coming up with some really new ideas there. (laughs) I didn't realize that everything he was saying had been refuted a hundred times over for 2000 years. But um, I was in my car one day and God really answered that prayer. I was fiddling with the radio, which is odd because I'm not really a radio person, uh, but for some reason I was. And and then I, he- I heard this voice, and it was a man who was answering questions from skeptical college students on a university campus. And it was as if he was answering, almost in order, the claims that the pastor had brought up in the class. But what was so st- astonishing to me was, number one, his tone and his demeanor. He, there was no fear in his voice. There was no anger in his voice. He was very calm. He was very knowledgeable. And what, what was surprising to me was not just that he could give a defense against these skeptical claims, but that he utterly demolished them and then took them like 10 steps further. And that was what was so impressive to me was not only could he answer these things, but, but he had such a wealth of knowledge to refute the claims that he almost made the claims seem silly. I record a podcast every time I write a blog when I wrote my book. I, I put it through the filter, is this a lifeboat that somebody can climb into that I'm sending out? And that keeps me from being hypercritical. It keeps me from being sarcastic. It keeps, I, I think it helps keep my tone in the tone that I believe God's led me to write and to speak in. But essentially, I'm sending out those lifeboats. And what's so sweet to me, even about the fact that I never got to meet them on this side of heaven, I, I may never meet people who climb in one of my lifeboats. And God knows who they are. He knows where he's sending them. And it's just an encouragement to me and maybe to your listeners who might be trying to speak truth in the situations that they're in or in their circle of influence. You may not see the fruit of that on this side of heaven. You may not see it in this life, but I don't doubt that God is working and he's using those things in people's lives. That really is a great reminder. Just We might not always get to see the, the fruit of what we have done here in this life, but our task is just to be faithful as God has equipped us to be, and, and leave the results to Him. Now, you, 
you find yourself in a place now where you are seeking to answer believers' questions, maybe a particular focus on those that, that might be enticed by progressive Christianity and, and facing these challenges of other worldviews, what are some of the unique ways that progressive Christianity is enticing for believers? I think it's enticing because I think there are a lot of Christians out there that rightly see problems in the church. So I think I was one of those people when I first went to this church that went on to become uh, progressive. I was questioning some of the Christian culture that I was surrounded by. I was, uh, I write about this more in my book too, just I had some stones in my shoes, so to speak, and I, I, I write about a few of those in the early chapters of my book where, you know, even just the whole way I saw a lot of altar calls being done where it didn't seem like the emphasis was on someone legitimately putting their trust in Jesus, at least in some of the ones I was seeing. But the emphasis was on numbers and filling out a card and be being able to say this many people filled out the card. And, you know, so I think there were things uh, legitimately that were, you know, that deserved some criticism. And that's what progressives were bringing in with them in the beginning. And I think that those kinds of realizations can can be enticing for people because they have this whole group of people over here saying look you can you can hold on to your Jesus you can keep your Christianity uh, but you're right there have been a lot of wrong things done in the name of Christ the church has gotten some things wrong and we're gonna fix it but what a lot of people don't realize and what I didn't realize when I went into that church that you know, was enticing to me because of its intellectual approach and the loving uh, environment. I didn't feel judged. I just felt loved and accepted. And that's really, it feels really good, especially if you've been judged and you've been in a harsher environment or a really legalistic environment or even been through legitimate abuse. Uh, you can you can feel like that's a really safe place. But I compare it to somebody who has cancer. Uh, we all have spiritual cancer, right? We all are sinners. We all have this problem of sin that is is what's killing us right this is what's wrong with the world in fact jay scalara old testament biblical scholar calls sin an acid that mars and and destroys everything it touches so we all have this type of spiritual cancer but imagine if you had physical cancer and you went to you you'd, you'd had all these harsh treatments and you know, it was uncomfortable and there were side effects. So you go to this new doctor and the new doctor says, well, hey, we're not going to do any of that to you. We, we love you. We want you to feel safe here. We want you to feel comfortable. So here we're going to give you this warm bed. We're going to give you a blanket. There's going to be people coming in to hold your hand and talk with you and make you feel as comfortable as possible. And uh, but but they're withholding the cure and that person is going to die. And they're going to die even though they have the warm bed and the blanket. And so I think that's what the progressive church is doing. And that's why it's so appealing because it feels like an oasis. It feels like a respite for a time. But essentially, they're withholding the cure to your sin problem. And that is going to cause death. And so I think that um, I'm very sympathetic to why people want to go into progressive Christianity. It feels like a much broader circle to walk into and it feels less suffocating it feels uh, less restrictive you can you can you know god's not going to worry about who you sleep with if you go to the progressive church you're not going to be judged for that and i understand why that could feel really good for a while but ultimately biblical morality the way the bible is laid out for with for us 
is God's word. It tells the story. It's all about Jesus. It tells the story of God's redemption from uh, creation to final judgment. But at the same time, there are things that uh, God calls a sin. There are things that contradict his holiness. And sometimes turning away from those things can be painful. It, uh, Jesus promised that we would have hardship on this in this life. He promised persecution and suffering. And uh, in the progressive church, you're not going to have any of that. So I can understand why that would be appealing, especially in this culture. But ultimately, my heart and my goal is to give people the cure. And uh, yeah, we need, you know, if, if there are churches that are hyper-legalistic or abusive, we need to address those things. And we need to, to get those things made right, because that goes against God's definition of holiness as well. Uh, but we can't throw the gospel out with the rest of it. And as appealing as it might be for a variety of, of temporary feel-good reasons, it really butts heads with Scripture all over the place in these progressive churches. How does one's view of Scripture factor in how they might respond to the sway of doubts that this movement brings? Yeah, and that's the big question, because if you're going to call yourself a Christian, you have to choose where you're going to get your information about what that means. And largely in the progressive church, uh, the view of Scripture is radically different from the way Christians have viewed Scripture historically. So Christians throughout history have argued about all kinds of different things regarding scripture. We've argued about what we mean when we use the word inerrancy. Uh, the, you know, we, we've argued about interpretations. We've argued about what the scripture says about certain doctrines. But the one thing you can trace back to Jesus himself, all the way back to Jesus himself, and I have a couple blog posts on this about what Jesus had to say about the scriptures. But what you will find is that Christians have believed that the Bible is inspired by God, that it's God's word, and that it's authoritative for Christian life. So we are compelled by Christians to obey God's word. In the progressive church, those are all out the window. So if you're going to redefine Christianity, you have to get around the Bible somehow. You have to either redefine your, re your interpretations, or you have to uh, change how you know how much authority you think this book has in your life and so largely in the progressive church there's a there's sort of a a different hermeneutic or a way of interpreting the scripture where they will look back at the writers of scripture like Paul and Peter and even all the way back to uh, the Old Testament and the the men who wrote the Old Testament and they will say in fact Brian McLaren in his book a new kind of Christianity says it very clearly he, he, I'm going to paraphrase it because I don't have the quote right in front of me, but he says, uh, our, the scriptures are our ancestors, our spiritual ancestors' best attempts to understand God in the times and places when, within which they lived. But now we, we have a higher and a wiser view of God. We've, we're more evolved. We've come further in our faith. We've learned more. And so we can look back on those biblical writers and we can disagree with them. We can say, well, when, when the scripture says that God commanded Israel to go in and wipe out the Canaanites, well, that wasn't God. That was just their best attempt to understand God in their time and place. And they were probably copying 
the, the pagan cultures around them that were doing things like that to appease their gods. And so that's how they would explain something like that, even though the text says God told Moses and then there's a command or God spoke and said or thus saith the Lord. Uh, so they can cast aside those kinds of verses and just make it more like a fossil or like a photograph. You know, we're just taking a picture of what people believed in their time and place. And so um, when it comes to doubt, how that respond, you know, how that can cause them to respond to doubt, it allows them to sort of fit the Bible into the new puzzle. So, uh, and just speaking about doubt for a second, there's all kinds of different doubts. You can buy books on doubts that will give you all kinds of different, like it might be moral doubt, it might be intellectual doubt, it might be emotional doubt. I, I think when all is said and done, there's really only two kinds of doubt. There's doubt that's honestly seeking truth to know what is true about it. And then there's doubt that is seeking justification for unbelief. So if somebody already has a problem with, say, a biblical command, and they're doubting that because they don't want that to be true. Well, they, they can make the Bible say whatever they want it to say. And so taking on this new view of Scripture allows them to sort of fit that into the puzzle to where, okay, I can still call myself a Christian, I can still have my Jesus, and I can actually still have my Bible. And so um, if we don't view Scripture as authoritative for our lives, then we become our own arbiters of truth. We become our own authority, our feelings, our preferences. And I don't know about you, but my feelings and preferences have lied to me a million times throughout my life. Um, you know, it's why I was such a mess in my early, early 20s. <laughs> you know, my, my heart and my feelings, they lie to me. And sometimes, you know, just, just obeying God's word is what gives us that firm foundation. But you're not going to have that in progressive Christianity. And it seems like so much of it comes down to either viewing the Bible as words about God or as words from God. And if you view the Bible as being just words about God, well, you got a lot of room there to pick and choose what it is you think is actually true. But if they are, in fact, which they are, words from God, we don't have that option to, to slice and dice and alter them. That's right. And in the progressive church, they'll often, you know, there's, the best lies contain the most amount of truth, don't they? So they're not going to totally deny that God, there's a divine element involved in the Bible, and that's how they'll define biblical inspiration. But there's this really, really strong emphasis on the humanity of the Bible. Uh, and again, historically, Christians, we've always affirmed and, and taught and believed that God used human authors to write the Bible to speak his word through. Uh, there are several different scriptures that talk about the, the Bible, the word of God being God breathed. So he breathed his words through these men. You certainly used their uh, cultural context text and their uh, personalities and their grammar styles, but in the it, it gets sort of lo this lopsided view in the progressive church. Well, you'll hear that. You'll hear, oh, it's a profoundly human book. We need to look at the humanity in the Bible, and they'll focus so much on the humanity that the divine element becomes sort of a curiosity, just almost like God's just behind the scenes somewhere, um, just saying, you know, with giving them a little inspiration and then letting them run with it. And that's sort of the progressive view of inspiration, not the, the strong historic view that God breathed his word through these, these people and that the words on the page are his words. So what can, what can parents and churches and even individuals do to be proactively 
protecting themselves, making sure that they're less susceptible to these winds of false doctrine that come from every direction all day long. I get this question often, and people want to know, what progressive books should I read? How should I sort of bone up on this movement so I know what they're teaching and I can warn everybody about it? And you can do that, certainly. And I I wouldn't recommend doing that if you're not a mature Christian. But if you're a mature Christian and you want to go read all the progressive books to be informed, that's fine. And if God's called you to do that, that's great. But for the average listener, you don't have to do that. You don't have to go read all the prosperity gospel books. You don't have to go read all the, the progressive books. What you need to do is acquaint yourself with the real thing. So there's this old preacher story that, you know, those preacher stories, you're not sure if they're true, but they make a good point. So (laughs) this may be true or not. But there's this old story preachers tell about um, counterfeit money and uh, secret or it's FBI agents, I think, are trained to spot counterfeit money, not by studying the counterfeit, but by studying the real thing. So they spend hours looking at a $100 bill. They know every uh, line, every color, every everything that makes that $100 bill authentic. And that way, when a counterfeit bill comes across their desk, they can spot it immediately. But they don't have to go study the counterfeits. And so I think proactive steps uh, that individual people, church members can take, is everybody needs to be responsible to be biblically literate themselves. So that's that's the first step. And I think for churches, churches need to get back to teaching the Bible. We need to stop teaching uh, sort of these topical, culturally relevant sermons with some Bible verses sprinkled in, and we need to get back to teaching through the Bible, because that is the that is the counter to progressive Christianity. That's the counter to any false movement, any false doctrine that's going to be coming into the church. And I, I believe I saw a study once that showed I think pastors are scared to do that because they're afraid people are going to leave their church. And that's true. You're going to lose some followers if you do that. If you switch to teaching through the Bible, you will probably initially lose some followers. But churches who have done that have ended up growing bigger because people are hungry for truth. They want the word of God. And then regarding parents, what parents can do, again, make sure your children are biblically literate. Ask them questions. Talk through doctrine. Teach them the attributes of God. Teach them good, sound doctrine as you read through the Bible. And that way, they'll be able to spot things. Now, I'm not saying that's going to guarantee they'll never go progressive or they'll never become an atheist, but they'll at least know what the real thing is. So if they choose to reject it, they will really be rejecting the real thing and not some sort of a straw man or a counterfeit version. Yeah, that's helpful. It reminds me of something that, that Michael Ramsden had said, um, that he'd rather have people reject you for what you do believe rather than what you don't. So at least try and clarify what the doctrines are. That's right. Well, what advice would you give to someone just as we kind of close this conversation that maybe starts to think that they have been paying a little bit too much attention online or reading books and have found themselves a bit caught up in some of this progressive Christianity that potentially could lead them away from Christian truth? What advice would you give them? Well, for the person who you're wondering yourself, am I being swayed by this? Uh, the biggest thing I could tell you, and I don't, I know I keep beating this drum, but read through the Bible. Um, make sure that for all the things you read, any, any devotional, it doesn't matter if it's progressive or not, but for every 
devotional you're reading, everything you're reading about God, make sure you're spending that much time in the actual scriptures because I had a really interesting thing happen recently when I reviewed uh, a progressive Christian book and I asked a good friend of mine if she would read through it with me so that we could discuss it. And so we were out walking one day after we had both read the book and she made such a brilliant point. She said, you know, I, I, because she was reading through the Bible in a year alongside reading this book and she said, when I was reading through this book was right when I was in the Gospels, and it was just stunning how different the Jesuses were. So the Jesus in the progressive book was a completely different person than the Jesus that I was reading about every day in the Gospels. Now, I was also reading through the Bible at that time, but I was in the Old Testament, so I wasn't right there in the Jesus passages. So that point hadn't stood out to me, but it did her because she was currently reading the scriptures about Jesus, that, that about his life and his ministry. So when this progressive book was talking about Jesus in this other way, she immediately was like, that's a different person. And so I would just really encourage you, if you're worried that you might be even drifting, read the Gospels, compare them with your favorite Bible teacher, compare what you're reading in the Gospels with your favorite speaker or your favorite Christian book that you're reading. Um, and, and just see if they line up. Are they giving you the same Jesus? And that, that would be my advice to that person. If it's somebody you love that might be caught up in this, there's a really great book uh, called Tactics by Greg Kokel. I would recommend getting that. It's how to have conversations with people where they could the conversation could go hostile, but it's how to keep it from getting hostile. And just to ask really well-placed questions, get people thinking. So I would say asking really good, well-placed questions, and you can learn to do that by, by reading that book, Tactics. Yeah, one of my favorites, we had the opportunity to, to interview Greg Hochul about tactics. We'll link to that. And you've interviewed him recently as well, particularly about progressive Christianity. So we'll be sure to link to those episodes of your podcast on the show notes also. Yeah, yeah. It was a great conversation because we were able to take his tactics that essentially are written for all Christians to talk to people of all kinds of different religious backgrounds. But we were able to take those tactics and apply them directly to progressive Christianity. It was really, it was really fun episodes. Yeah, one of my, one of my favorite, most recommended apologetics book, definitely. But this particular book, Helping People to Think Through Progressive Christianity, and as you've so helpfully pointed out, it truly is just, it's a different Jesus. It's another gospel. This book is coming out soon, and I understand you've got some some bonuses for those who pre-order. Is that right? That's right. So the book is called Another Gospel, A Lifelong Christian Seeks Truth in Response to Progressive Christianity. And it is my journey. It's written like a memoir. So I'm taking the reader through my journey of being in the progressive church, going through that dark time of doubt. And then I walk through all the questions I had and then how I came to settle on the answers that I did, that the historic Christian faith is true, that the Bible is true and it's reliable and it's been transmitted accurately and we have the word of God. And so I walk the reader through that, through the narrative arc of my story. Now, the cool thing I'd love to let your listeners know about is that um, we're, we're really trying to get a lot of pre-orders going for the book. And the reason for that is when there are pr- a lot of pre-orders, it signals the online retailers to reorder more books. And this keeps it from running out online, but it also gets it into the hands of more people. And I think that this progressive Christian movement is affecting so many people. And I just want to get this book into the hands as many people as possible. So if you pre-order the book, you're eligible for a couple of really cool bonuses. The first one is that you're going to get the first two chapters of the book a week early. So it comes out on October 6th, but you'll get the first two chapters a week before that. 
And then the second bonus, which is the one I'm really excited about, is I am hosting a private Facebook book club read-through of the book that will start the week that the book comes out. In fact, it's actually already live, and we're having amazing, fun conversations. I've already done a Facebook Live in there. But there'll be six weeks where we read through the book, and I'll do a Facebook Live at the end of each week, and I'll teach through the chapters, and we'll have discussions, we'll talk about it, and I'm really excited about that. It's already We're already booming over there. So if you are interested in pre-ordering and getting those bonuses, you can go to alisachilders.com slash another gospel, and you'll get everything. You'll get buttons to pre-order, and then a, a link you can click to get your bonuses, which will take you to the Facebook group, but I would really, really love to have you join us over there for this great discussion. Excellent. And we'll be sure to link to those bonuses that you can get for pre-ordering another gospel at reasonabletheology.org slash episode 34. You can find the links to all the resources that we have mentioned throughout this interview. Once again, our guest has been Elisa Childers. Her book on progressive Christianity coming out soon, Another Gospel. I encourage you to pick up a copy and really be armed against this enticing, prevalent movement that is really everywhere these days and leading people away from the true gospel of Jesus Christ. Elisa, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to the Reasonable Theology Podcast. Be sure to visit reasonabletheology.org for more helpful resources on understanding, articulating, and living out the Christian faith. In addition to the show notes for this episode, you'll find articles, videos, book reviews, and much more. That's reasonabletheology.org. Thanks again for listening. If you enjoy the Reasonable Theology podcast, go to reasonabletheology.org slash subscribe and get the weekly email. Each week I send out the latest article or podcast episode, and each email also includes a helpful definition to expand your theological vocabulary, a beautiful painting depicting a scene from scripture or church history, a musical selection to enrich your day, as well as the best book deal I've found that week to add trusted resources to your library. Try it out at reasonabletheology.org slash subscribe.